Welcome to Madison Church. Again, my name is Stephen, lead pastor at Madison Church, and I'm wondering if you are the kind of person who, when you're standing in line somewhere, you strike up a conversation with somebody else in line. Go ahead, raise your hand. I know you're not shy. Yes, Co. we got a couple. You you do this. Um, I just described a reoccurring nightmare that the rest of the people in the room are always have. Every time they walk up, they have a little panic attack. As they walk up, there's one cashier open, and there's two people in line, and they're like, is today my unlucky day? Is someone going to, you know, what, what, what is this person up to? Why do they want to be my friend, right? Awful, awful stuff, right? For those of you who do enjoy talking to people um, and people that you don't know, how do you start that conversation? I mean, what sort of things do you say? How was your day? I like that. Anyone else think of one? Awesome hat, awesome shirt. Okay, that's good. If you're watching or listening online, let us know in the chat room um, how you start conversations. Uh, I'll let you know that uh, personally in the store, I do not uh, start conversations with strangers uh, because I've seen this. My dad is one of these people. He's just talked to anyone. And um, we go to Disney World and there's a lot of standing around in lines. And uh, sometimes I just, I I watch. It's almost like science. Uh, I watch him just um, terrorize someone for 45 minutes and they can't get out of line. They want to ride the ride. And, and I'm just like, dad, read the room, man. They like, no, he loves it. He loves people. Um, I'm not the kind of person who necessarily strikes up a conversation uh, in public, but uh, on the golf course, uh, and some of you know, I golf a lot uh, on the golf course. I kind of have to, because like yesterday I was golfing with Jason, who's spoken at our church before worked for us a little bit. Um, we were paired up with two other golfers And what that means is that for the next four hours, we're going to be golfing with these two other people. So to not introduce myself would just be really like antisocial. It'd be weird. It would be aggressive. And so we usually, hey, I'm Steven. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Uh, We usually ask how often you play. Somebody in the group will because we're trying to gauge each other's talent level before we ever get started. We just want to know, am I, is today going to be like more of a drinking day or like a golfing day? And so we're trying to like, how often do you play? And they're like, I play every day. We're like, oh, drinking day. You know, are they like the first time this year? We're like, all right, you want to bet or uh, anything? No, we don't do that. But um, one of the things that inevitably always comes up, and I think it's a Midwestern thing because my friends from the coast, the East Coast and the West Coast think it's weird, but like we talk a lot about the weather. You know what I'm saying? Like, how about this weather? That's what I thought maybe some of you were going to say when you're in line with somebody, you, you talk about the weather, right? Look at the snow. Oh, it's so hot. It's, it's cloudy. It's been raining a lot. Uh, we do that a lot in the Midwest and, and almost always, uh, maybe it's just a Wisconsin thing, but like we're never happy about it. Like it's never in the context of it being good. It's too hot. It's too cold. There's too much snow. There's too much rain. There's not enough rain. You know, it's, it's, it's never, ever good. We talk about long winters, short summers. Um, and then it got me thinking again this week, I'm like, what do people in other countries or on the East and West coast, what do they talk about if they're not always bringing up the weather like we do? I'd be very interested. Um, and I'm going to ask, but, um, the weather and then, you know, associated with the weather are storms and storms aren't just physical occurrences. You're wondering where in the heck I was going with all of this. We're talking about storms and storms aren't just physical occurrences, um, that have to do with rain and snow and sleet. Um, People have described, and people do describe, a bad season of life as going through a storm. I'm going through a storm in my life right now. Um, And storms are almost always, storms in our lives anyway, are almost always unwanted. You've never heard someone enthusiastically walk up to you and, how are you doing? Terrible. I'm in a storm of my life, but you know what? Like, no, it doesn't work like that. 
we're very, how I'm going through a storm, going through a tough uh, season. And they affect all of us. It doesn't matter. It affects young, old. Uh, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your background. Storms affect every single one of us. They rock us all. And you know what? They can fill us with a whole lot of fear, especially when we don't know the outcome of the storm. You might just be getting into a storm right now. You might be in the middle of a storm. You're probably praying you're toward the end of a storm. And you're like, how is this going to end? And you remember life before the storm, the sunny days or whatever. And you're like, I want to get back to that. And we're going to talk about that in storms and following Jesus. And and how does our faith play into storms of our lives? And so we're in the second part of a series called The Lake Effect. The first part is up on um, YouTube. And during these four weeks that we're talking about The Lake Effect, we're talking about um, specific scenes of Jesus teaching his disciples off of the Sea of Galilee. So we're looking at four different events that occurred off the Sea of Galilee, these key encounters, to see what we can learn about what Jesus says about following him. The series is about helping you have a better relationship with Jesus, or at least pointing you in the direction and saying, head this way. Um, because we talked about this study last week. We have a graph for it. And it shows that when they did a survey, that most Christians today look more like the religious elite of Jesus's day than Jesus. So Barna goes out, they do this big survey, and they're like, they ask a bunch of questions. And for those people who identified as a Christian, the vast majority of them actually look more like Pharisees than Jesus. Which means in this country, in the United States anyway, it's possible that you say you're a Christian, as two-thirds do, say you're a Christian and not look like Jesus. And that just shouldn't be. That just shouldn't. We could say we're a Christian and actually look more like the people that Jesus antagonized an awful lot and, and the group that antagonized Jesus. We look more like them than Jesus. And so in this series, we're not just talking about history. We're not just talking about events. We're not just talking about pithy statements that Jesus had. But really the emphasis is that as we learn and as we hear from Jesus and these teachings on the Sea of Galilee, that we get closer to him, we walk away from being the religious elite, these Pharisees with our actions and attitudes, and we adopt the actions and attitudes of our Savior. And so today we're going to Mark chapter four. If you want to follow along, if you have your own Bible, you can use your smartphone, Bible app. I'll have the words on the screen too, but we definitely encourage uh, note-taking or highlighting. Your Bibles are meant to be written in, so do that. Um, We're looking at this story that takes place in Mark four. And at this point in Mark's gospel, um, Jesus has been going around. He's been traveling a little bit. He's been teaching a little bit. He's done some miracles and he's got a crowd. He's got a crowd. They're not necessarily like followers. They're not his disciples. He's got those. He's got those too. But people are starting to say, hey, you know, there's this guy, Jesus, and he heals people. And then they're saying, well, you know, I have an uncle. I have a cousin. I have an ailment. What do I have to lose? I've seen the doctors. Let's go see Jesus and see if he can do it. Because when you're sick, when you're hurting, when you're going through something and you're running out of options, you're kind of open to anything at that point. So that's what was going on. And the other thing was Jesus's teachings were so different than everything else that they were, had heard. So so different than the Judaism that they might have grown up in and around. or so different than the Roman Empire and, and all of their gods. is so different. So they're coming to him, not just because he can heal them, but because he's kind of an interesting guy. And What happens at this point in Mark is that Jesus had been doing this all day, and uh, we're picking up at verse 35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, 
although other boats followed. They're like, you can't get away from us that easy, Jesus. We own a boat. Um, But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. So Jesus has been teaching. He's leaving a crowd. He wants to go to the other side of the lake. Presumably, there's another crowd, another group of people on the other side. They get in the boat, and uh, he's tired. So Jesus gets on the boat. He goes to sleep. We're going to come and find out. He's sleeping on the boat. But this bad storm breaks out. And how do we know it's bad? Well, because, like I said, in a minute, we're going to read that the disciples who are in the boat are freaking out. And if you remember last week, when Jesus calls his first disciples, what did they do for a living? They were fishermen. They lived on the water. They made their living on the water. And so if these experienced career fishermen are freaking out and like, we're going to die, you have to imagine it's a pretty bad storm to shake them up. They were terrified. And I wonder if they, like many of us, thought that by following Jesus, they would never have a storm in their life. Like, I wonder, as they're looking around at this bad storm and and possibly thinking that they're going to die, I wonder what they were thinking. Because they're like, well, we're following Jesus. He does these teachings. He does these miracles. And now we're going to die? That's weird. Because shouldn't following Jesus then make our lives like always sunshine and rainbows? In this scenario, it's pointed out that no, in this not just scenario, in this event that happens, it's not. And you know what? We might not be on a boat with Jesus who's sleeping. But I think in our lives, we do have a bunch of different storms. Perhaps you lost a job. A lot of people did the last couple of years, right? Lost a job in the last couple of years. Or you transitioned in jobs. And in doing so, perhaps you lost your primary source of income. Maybe it was temporary. Maybe it was a long time. And and you relied family, friends, on government uh, support, the stimulus checks. You did that. And when you're in that storm, the financial seasons, you're not sure where the money is going to come in from. How are you going to pay your bills? Are we going to be homeless? Are we going to go hungry? Like, am I going to have to ask strangers on the street for a couple bucks? What are we going to do here? Many of us are going through a storm of mental illness. You deal with anxiety or depression or both or something else. And it feels unrelenting. And when there's unrelenting mental health, many of you know that that negatively impacts your physical health as well. Perhaps it is just a physical ailment, a diagnosis, a death of someone you loved, you're grieving. Storms of our lives take on many forms, many forms. They may not look the same in every situation, but we all have storms in our lives. And what we can do in this story, when we're reading about Jesus in the boat with the disciples in transit to another place, and there's a storm that happens, we can learn how to better handle the storms in our lives. So let's keep reading to see how those first followers handled their storm. In Mark 4.38, Jesus was sleeping on the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? The question, don't you care? It sounds like they're doubting Jesus's concern for them, doesn't it? They were. I just want to clarify that. It reads that way because they were. They are absolutely doubting whether or not Jesus cared about them. Jesus, don't you care? How are you asleep right now? The boat's rocking. Water's coming over. We're all freaking out. We're about to die. And you're just back here sleeping. We're scared for our lives. And and you're somehow sleeping through it. I mean, I know we had a busy day. Jesus, the teaching, the healing, the miracle, all that. I know you had a busy day, but this is crazy. And I think that in our own lives, when we're going through the storms of our lives, we too ask that question. Jesus, God, 
don't you care? I mean, maybe you don't phrase it like that, but you're asking the question, God, where are you? Why aren't you here? God, why am I going through this? Did I do something wrong? Is this some sort of like a cosmic punishment? We have a crisis of faith, maybe. Maybe God isn't good. Maybe there is no God. Maybe there's a different God. We start asking all these questions, but essentially it's the same thing, which is like, God, I know, I've read it. I've heard people talk about it. I've sung about it. You love us. So if you love us, don't you care about us? How does that work. And I was reading through my uh, prayer journal. I keep a prayer journal. I just jot a line or two down a day. Um, and it, it goes back five years. And I like to reread some of the old prayer requests that I have. And I ask that question a lot. Don't you care? God, don't you care that my kid is sick? Like, I'm not even being selfish and asking for me to be healed. I'm asking for this baby to be healed. God, don't you care about this? We're trying to do something amazing, and it just doesn't seem like the resources are going to come in. Don't you care? And then what I do in my prayer journal is oftentimes I'll go back and circle the answered prayers. And you better believe that my journal is full of a lot of circles. And a lot of those circles were either followed up by or um, preceded by, God, don't you care? And then a year later, I get the circle. I'm like, oh, I guess he did. I guess he did care. See, it's one thing to believe that God really cares about you when your life is good. Man, I would almost say that's easy. It's easy to believe God cares about you, loves you, sees you, is there for you when everything is going well. But when things don't and things won't, when things don't go well, when we're in the middle of a storm, it becomes difficult. And I want to encourage you that it's okay to ask the question, don't you care? And not just because I do it, okay? Not just because I do it, because over 50 times in the Psalms, Jesus's prayer book, when Jesus was walking the earth, his prayer book would have been the Psalms. And over 50 times, we see this phrase come up, crying out to God. We're instructed to cry out to God. So when you're going through the storm and you're in the middle of the storm, it's okay to sit there and declare, God, don't you care? God, where are you? Cry out to God. Say, I know this is tough, and God, I, I know you love me, but, but man, it doesn't feel like it right now. And that's okay. And I promise that God can handle it. I promise you won't hurt his feelings. I promise you won't offend him. He's big enough to handle your criticisms and your complaints, and he'll love you not just despite that, but he'll love you because you do that. Because think about this. Think about your relationships with other people, whether it's your kids, parents, a romantic partner. Part of having a close relationship with any other human being on the planet Earth is sharing with them how you are feeling. And if you were in a relationship with someone and you were like, I never let that person know how I'm feeling, I would say that's probably not a great relationship. I mean, you're probably not close. And if you're like, no, I've been married to that person for 30 years, and you never tell them how you feel, like either you don't know you, or like that's not a great relationship. And so if we want a great relationship with God, it's important that, yes, does he know how you feel? Absolutely. It's not like you can hide that from him anyway, but it's important that we cry out to him. God invites it. He commands us to do it. So when you're going through a storm, cry out to God. And what will God's response be? Well, we can read a couple of Jesus's response when he's woken up by the disciples. It says, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? 
do you still have no faith? So the disciples, they cry out to Jesus. Jesus wakes up. He speaks just a few words. And all of a sudden, this life-threatening situation goes away in an instant. Instant. And I know that for a lot of us, we wish that that would happen in our lives too, right? Like you're praying. You're, you're okay with crying out to God, right? God, don't you care? But what you're hoping is like, if I yell loud enough, if I pray loud enough, if I pray long enough, eventually I can wake him up right? God's sleeping. I can just wake him up and then he's going to speak. And whatever it is I'm going through, whether it's financial, physical, mental health, maybe a spiritual desert that I'm in, if I can just wake God up, he's going to wake up and he's going to snap his finger and then voila, everything is going to be great. But we know that that's not what happens. Because if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, and if you have ever prayed before, if you've ever prayed before, I know you know what it's like to have a prayer go unanswered. Because we've all had a prayer gone unanswered. Jesus had prayers go unanswered, okay? And so we all know what that's like. But I want to point out in this story that Jesus calming the storm wasn't the end of the process. It wasn't the end of the lesson. It wasn't the end of the story. Jesus doesn't wake up, say, silence, and then everything calms down. And Jesus says, I got to go back to bed. We got a big day tomorrow, guys, and go back to sleep. He doesn't do that. He takes this opportunity to teach them, and he says, why are you afraid. Why are you afraid? And if you're in the storm and you're imagining Jesus say this to you, you might think that Jesus is telling you that you shouldn't be afraid, but that's not what he's saying. He's not commanding you to not be afraid about this. What he's actually saying is, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? The storm of your life, why are you afraid? Is what Jesus is trying to get after here. Like I said, some of the disciples, they had spent their whole lives on lakes. They knew how to swim. They would have been, you know, I mean, it's a bad storm. Who knows if they could have swam the shore, but they had weathered all kinds of storms before. And before Jesus calmed the storm, it's not like they hadn't seen Jesus do miracles already. They had seen him do miracles already. And even though they had seen all of that, and even though they had all of this experience on their own, even without Jesus about being on boats, it still wasn't enough. They were so used to handling the storms of, them, their, of their lives themselves that when they got the one they couldn't handle, they didn't know what to do. And we can be so much like them that when the storms of our lives hit, what do we want to do? A lot of us, we want to roll up our sleeves and deal with it. I got it. I'll give it a whirl. I'll go see the doctor. I'll go see my counselor. All good things. Do those things. I'm not saying don't do those things, but we roll up our sleeves. I'll just work a little extra. I'll go to work early. I'll stay late. I'll work harder. Maybe I'll get the raise. I'll get the promotion. That'll take care of my financial crisis. But we go to work. A lot of us do. And that's what the disciples were doing. They didn't wake up Jesus right away. I'm sure that they knew Jesus had a busy day. And so they're letting Jesus sleep in the back. They're trying the best. And then eventually you get to the point where they feel like they're going to die. They cry out to Jesus. They didn't like pat him on the, hey, Jesus, can you wake up? And like, look how bad this is. I mean, I'm sure they were screaming for their lives. They shake him and wake him up. Because they come into a situation now, a storm that they finally, they couldn't deal with on their own. And I know we do. We try to handle everything ourselves. But when it comes to the really big storms of our lives, and you will have them. And what you need to know is that you can't always be the only one who helps yourself. Because in these massive storms of life, self-help is no help at all. And as simple as it may sound, I mean, for me, this has been a key in facing the storms that have come into my own life. I want to take care of it. 
I just say, I'll just stay up a little bit later. I'll just wake up a little bit earlier tomorrow. I can deal with this. God, you have bigger things to deal with. There's a, there's a war in Ukraine. There's a global pandemic. You don't need to worry about my little problems in Madison, Wisconsin. But what I've learned is that when these massive storms happen, that what God is wanting me to do is to turn to him and to ask him for help and to trust him more, to trust him that in the middle of my storms, he has not left me. He is right there with me. And maybe you're thinking, well, gee, thanks. Okay, so I know that storms are inevitable. I am crying out to Jesus. Jesus, wake up. Where are you? Um, I'm praying, but like faith. I'm struggling with faith right now. My storm is so bad that I'm struggling with faith, which is Jesus's next question. He says, do you still have no faith? That might seem like a scolding question, but it is not. He was trying to remind his disciples. He was reminding them why they could trust him in the middle of a storm. And even though the storm comes fairly early on in their experience with Jesus, they had already seen Jesus do so many things. He had healed diseases. He had cast out demons. He had done so many other things. But when this storm came, they had forgotten all that they had already experienced. They forgot earlier that day what Jesus was doing. When they were present they forgot all of it. And then they're shaking Jesus. Wake up, we're going to die. And Jesus says, do you still not have faith? And what he is trying to do is say, don't you remember a few hours ago when I did that? Don't you remember yesterday when we did that? Don't you remember last week? And in our storms, we have to do a better job at remembering what God has already done for us. We have such a quick memory, a short memory when we're going through something rough. We forget what God has already done for us. And so when we find ourselves in the situation of a storm, it's so important to be able to go back and look and say, no, this is when God did this. And maybe it wasn't just for you, but it was for someone that you know. He said, no, God did that. No, God did this. This is how God did that. And this is how we begin to build our faith by reminding ourselves, by remembering what God has already done for us. And this is another word that is found all over the Old and New Testaments, this word, remember. And it's not just like a, oh, I remember that something came to mind out of the blue, a song that you can't get out of your head. It's not that. This word in the original language is about to dwell on what God has already done. It is to meditate on it. It's an intentional act. He's not saying go through the storm. And if you happen to remember to pray, great. It's you're going through the storm of this life, build time in your calendar, build time in your schedule. Take a few moments today to remember to reflect on, to dwell on something that God has already done through you, in you, a situation God has already brought you through. Think about where you sit right now and think about the times in your life where you thought you were sunk, when it felt like there was no hope for you, no way out, and yet God made a way. And if you've followed Jesus for any amount of time, I'm sure that you have a story just like that. When the winds blow, when the waters rise, when it seems like our boat is going to sink with us in it, we can weather the storm by hearing God ask the question, do you still have no faith? And it's not to scold us, but it's to say, remember what I've already done in your life. And how do the disciples respond? How should we respond? Um, they said they were absolutely terrified. That's what the NLT says. They were absolutely terrified. They asked, who is this man? And they asked each other, even the wind and the waves obey him. Notice that it says when it says that the wind or with that when he calmed the storms and the waves, they were absolutely terrified. What did they think was going to happen? 
They're freaking out. We're going to die. They wake Jesus up. Jesus wakes up. He calms the seas. Jesus asks them a few questions. It's almost like they don't hear the questions. They move on to the where they're scared. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And they were terrified, but it wasn't because of fear. This word, again, back in Greek, is to just be in awe. They were terrified, absolutely terrified. They were shocked. They couldn't believe what they had just witnessed. Now, remember, they had seen Jesus do the healings, the miracles, the casting out demons, and this was the thing. The wind and the waves dying at the, at the word that the disciples were like, I think he's God. I think, I think we've seen enough. I think he's finally God. In this storm, they reassessed who they were really following. I don't know who they thought they were following before. Maybe they were just kind of following Jesus, and maybe you can relate to this. You're like, I'm pretty sure this is right. I'm pretty sure this is right. And we're following Jesus like that. And then something happens. And in the case, maybe it's a storm in your life in which you're like, okay, okay. I was pretty sure, but now I'm 100% sure about this. And my hunch is, is that when we go through storms, a lot of us have a very domesticated view of Jesus. He's very passive and just kind of sitting off to the back of the boat and very hippie-like. And, and we gotta <laughs> we gotta remember that Jesus is a spiritual warrior, a spiritual king, and that he has power. So no matter what you're dealing with, Jesus isn't just passively sitting by, watching it go, waiting for the time to run out. He's doing something. He's working in and around you. A number of years ago, there was a book that came out called The Adversity Quotient, and it presented research on why certain people were able to succeed in situations where almost everybody else failed. So they did this research. Why did, why did this one person succeed when all of these other persons who were trying to do the same thing failed? They looked at everything from like mountain climbers who kept going up Mount Everest and those who didn't. They looked at things from like kids who came from gang-dominated neighborhoods who rose above it all when almost all of their peers got dragged down. They also looked at entrepreneurs who made it big when other people got crushed. And the conclusion that they came to was that the most important factor, the most important factor, the commonality that they all had when achieving success, no matter your situation or circumstances, was not how smart you are. It was not how talented you were, the specialized skills that you had, or how strong your relational network is. What they found almost consistently with everyone who had success when in other situations, everyone else failed, the most influential thing was how they dealt with adversity. Well, we're talking about today, how they weathered the storms. Storms of life are going to come. You know that. I know that. We know that. We've experienced that. It's going to happen. But what will shape our lives is not whether or not the storms come, but how we respond to them, how we respond to them. If we want to be successful, as odd as it might be to say, if we want to have a thriving relationship with God and a thriving spirituality, a successful relationship with God, then that means during the storms, we have to learn how to handle adversity. So remember to call out to God. You should do that. Pray to him. Tell him about your worries, your fears, your doubts. But don't just stop there. Reflect on what God has already done in and through you and choose trust. Choose trust. Even though it might be hard, even though it might have been a long time since you felt like you've experienced God, known God, choose trust because you can let the situation and circumstances that you find yourself in, you can let them either drive you closer to God or drive you away from God. And the only person that's up to is you. What you're going through will either bring you closer to God or it'll push you away from God. And the only person who determines that is yourself, your attitude. What will you choose? Choose 
trust. And as we end today, let me tell you something else that Jesus said uh, that's recorded in John 16, 33. He's about to uh, be betrayed. He's about to be crucified. He's kind of getting through a, a bunch of last minute kind of teachings to his disciples. And in John 16, 33, he says to his followers, I've told you all of this, all of these things, so that you may have peace in me. Because here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Not very comforting. Jesus is about to be betrayed, right? And what he says is he goes through all of these things and he said, this is my prayer for you. This is my hope for you. This is what I want you to do. And, and by the way, I've told you all of these things so that you could have peace. And I go, oh, thank you, Jesus, I have peace. And then Jesus says, because here on earth, it's going to be hard and you're going to have storms. And if you're a disciple in the room, you're like, wait, what? You're saying that if I follow you, even if I do all the right things, life is still going to be hard? Like I could do nothing wrong, hypothetically speaking. I do a lot wrong, but I could do nothing wrong, hypothetically speaking, and you're telling me life is still going to be hard. And Jesus says, yeah, it is. Well, that's kind of a bummer, right? It's kind of a bummer, but it's reality. And I know so many people have walked away from faith or struggle with their faith because they're like, well, I'm going through this really rough time. I'm like, but that was never like, that was never not part of the deal. That was never not part of the deal. As a matter of fact, Jesus leads with that. He says, I'm telling you all this stuff because life is going to be hard. At times, it's going to be really difficult. It's going to suck. At, at times, you're going to wonder like, where am I and what am I doing? But I've told you all of these things so that in the midst of your storm, when you're trying to weather the storm, you can remember this and what? Have peace. I'm not going to keep you from every bad thing that's going to happen, but what I've told you will give you peace in those situations. He finishes this statement by saying, take heart. I have overcome the world. Life is going to be hard. Don't worry about it. I've overcome the world. Hang in there. Persevere. Don't give up. Choose trust. When miracles happen and God intervenes impressively in our lives, that's awesome. Let's tell the world about it. We can praise God for that. But more often than not, more often than not, what I have found is not that God comes up and calms the storms for us. What I have found is that he goes through the storm with us. And if you're going through a bad storm right now, whatever it is in your life, I want to remind you today that you can know with confidence that he is going through that storm with you. Even if he's not telling the wind to be silent, the waves to calm down, he is right there in it with you. You are not alone. Do you remember how that story started that we talked about today? He says, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Jesus didn't tell them, let's go in the boat so we can go to the middle of the lake and die, right? I mean, that would be a dramatically different story. He told the disciples right away at the beginning of the story, we're going to get in this boat, we're going to go to the other side. And halfway through, they forgot that. Halfway through, they doubted that. Halfway through, they questioned that. And going back to the idea of this series, that when we're following Jesus, not only will we have storms in our lives, but we have to remember who we're following. We're following Jesus and where he is leading us to. And perhaps we're leaving a good place and Jesus has a better place in mind. And in the middle of the transition between the good place and the better place, we're in the middle of a storm and we're thinking, man, I'd really like to go back to that good place. But let's remember who we're following. Let's remember what he has said and what he has promised.